Today's featured gospel lesson for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost comes from John chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you, there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. A little insight for you if you happen to be new out there. If you have tuned in before, you've perhaps heard me talk about this before, but my favorite food in the world is pizza. I think pizza is the world's most perfect food. It covers all four food groups, and it is served up in a convenient, easy-to-pick-up-and-consume type fashion. My family, we eat a fair amount of pizza, and one of the things that we have gotten into, a habit that we have gotten into in the last several years, is something that we call pizza picnic on the floor. It usually happens about once a week. Thursday nights is typically when it tends to happen. We order pizza, I go and pick it up, and when I get back with the pizza, we, rather than sitting at the table and having, having supper like we normally do, we sit down on the floor in the living room, and we just open up the pizza boxes, and we hold over the pizza box, and we eat it. It's wonderful. It's a time when we catch up. I'm, I so love doing it. Now, there are four members of my family, myself, my wife, and our two kids, but there's also a fifth member of our household, and this is our cat. Now, our cat thinks she's the boss. If you have a cat out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. I think they all act this way. My cat, whenever it's mealtime, she's going to be right in the middle of the action. She jumps up on top of the table, she sits right in the middle, and she's the centerpiece. That happens pretty much every single time. When we have pizza picnic on the floor, she does the same sort of thing. But it's funny what she does. She always ends up laying down and maybe you've seen cats do this, the way they sort of like fold their arms, their, their front legs up in front of them, and, and she just lays there, she's being very dainty, and she's just kind of there. But what's really funny about this is after a little bit of time goes by, we've seen this time after time after time, pretty soon, when she thinks no one's looking, she'll very carefully and daintily reach across like she's going for a piece of pizza. And we stop her, but she does it. It's so dainty. Now, when I think of dainty eating or things that are dainty, I don't know about you, maybe this is a stereotype that I really shouldn't get into, but I always tend to think of the way that we drink tea. 
And whenever I think about drinking tea, I always think you have to put your pinky up and, and very delicately, daintily drink tea. A little bit of background for you in terms of tea. I'm not a big tea drinker. I drink it every once in a while, but not very often. But a week ago, I was in the mountains of Colorado at family camp, out in the, the wilderness, up in the mountains, very rustic. And there was one evening, the one time all week when I shifted away from coffee and I was drinking tea, we were sitting at a table in kind of an outdoor chapel. And as we were having this bit of a program, literally as I was taking a sip of tea, I didn't have my pinky up, but I might as well have, we started hearing some noise uh, out in the, the, the background, out, outside in the darkness where we couldn't see, because it was, it was nighttime, it was dark outside. We started hearing the sound of coyotes, coyotes yipping at one another, getting all worked up. Now, maybe you've heard this before, and if you've heard this before, you probably know what was going on. Those coyotes were hunting something. They were working together in a pack. They were yelping at each other. And I'm sure at some point they caught whatever they were going after. Now, when I think about the reason for those coyotes to be hunting, it's because they were hungry. They wanted to eat. And if and when they made their kill, you can imagine that there was nothing dainty about the way that they were eating. There was no pinky going up as, the, as it caref the coyotes carefully took little bites. They were in there. They went after it. They were gnawing on whatever. They were just chewing it. They were crunching on the bones. They were right, right in there. And of course they were because that's their life. I bring all of that up because the way that I imagine in my mind the way those coyotes were eating or the way that I often think about any wildlife predator when it makes a kill and it's eating, it's not dainty. They're right in there. And that type of eating, to gnaw or to chew or to crunch on it, that is the sensibility that is present within our gospel lesson when Jesus talks about eating his body. In the original Greek, the word is trogo. And it, there is nothing that is dainty. There is no raised pinky in this, this situation. It's exactly like is what, what we've been describing with the coyotes. It's getting in there. It's gnawing on it. It's really going to town on it like a dog with a bone. Just gnaw, 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 gnaw. Now, as we think about this story, this is the end of something that's known as the bread of life discourse, something that, that we come around to about every three years in our electionary cycle. It's the entirety of chapter 6 of John's gospel, it follows the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus has miraculously met the physical need of all of these people. And then he comes out and he tells the crowds, I am the bread of life. I am the food. I am the source of life. And then he spends this entire chapter talking about it. Now, over the course of the last five weeks, that's been our gospel lesson, even if we haven't had the opportunity here through the videos or through the various sermons to talk about it. This is the end of it now. And Jesus, as he's talking about this, he says something that maybe, just maybe, kind of perks our attention up just a little bit and makes us think about something which we call sacramental. Eating my body, drinking my blood. If you are anything like me, when you hear that, eat my body, drink my blood, immediately your mind goes to the idea of Holy Communion something that's very, very, very important in the Lutheran church and in many different denominations. Now, not every denomination, not every branch of the Christian church puts as much stock in it as, as we might here in the Lutheran church, but it's an important thing. And here in John's gospel, believe it or not, this is kind of the one time when we get any sort of inkling of Jesus teaching about Holy Communion. Now, he doesn't come out and say it, 
And unlike the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we don't have the Last Supper or the moments at the Last Supper when Jesus institutes Holy Communion, when he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. While we do have the Last Supper in John's Gospel, he's got other things on the agenda and he doesn't talk about Holy Communion at all. This is the one place in John's Gospel. And he's talking about this idea of trogo, of gnaw, get in there, gnaw on my flesh. The one who does this will have life. The one who eats my flesh, the one who eats my body and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Life into the age is the way it's described. Now, as we hear in the narrative of our gospel lesson for today, some people don't quite know what to make of this. We hear about this, oh, this is a hard teaching. And it's interesting to sort of unpack why. Now, on one hand, if we take all of our thoughts of Holy Communion out, something that, that, at least to me and perhaps to you as well, seems so familiar, and think about his audience, this would have been pretty wild. Eat my flesh. Well, folks, that's cannibalism, which we tend to cringe at just a little bit, don't we? It's not something that we're really huge fans of outside of the realm of Holy Communion. Drink my blood. These are problematic ideas. For his Jewish audience, which primarily would have been his audience there around Capernaum, which is where we hear he is, it's a Jewish community, this would have been very troublesome. Cannibalism is out the window, not even possible. And likewise, when we think about ideas of, of ritual cleanliness or being kosher, you didn't drink blood. You didn't consume blood at all. In fact, there were very specific methods for, for butchering animals to make sure that all of the blood was drained out so that you didn't take the blood. It would make you unclean. So no wonder his Jewish audience is hearing this and thinking, uh, we got an issue with this. This is a hard teaching, a difficult teaching. You can go so far as to say it's a scandalous teaching. In fact, in the original language, that's in there too. Does this scandalize you when Jesus is talking back? Now again, for his audience in that day, this would have been troublesome. And as we hear, many of them stop following him. They're just thinking, this is too much. We can't do this. We can't take this. But now 2,000 years later, at least for me, perhaps for you as well, this is so deeply ingrained into part of our faith practice, this idea of holy communion, this idea that the bread is his body and the blood, the wine is his blood and we take it and we receive it and we consume it and it's, it becomes a part of us. It's so ingrained in us that it's almost second nature. Perhaps we don't even think about it. But this is mind-bogglingly big in the moment. Some can't handle it. Some go away because this teaching is just too far out there. It's too much, Jesus. We can't take this. Now, I appreciate how Jesus also then reflects and apparently knew that this sort of thing was going to happen. And he talks about how no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Faith is not possible unless it is granted by God. Faith, understanding, believing these teachings of Jesus, whatever we want to call it, it is a gift of God. It is not self-generated, and perhaps that makes sense, because when we think about the possibility of the gospel, these things that we talk about, that we read about in the scriptures, that we profess, they seem that beyond our comprehension, and faith is only a gift of God. This is also hinted at from what we, we hear from the, the, the 12 disciples who Jesus has chosen. 
We hear this right at the end when he says, do you wish to leave as well? And Simon Peter says, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the words of eternal life. We have come to know and to believe. We, we have faith that you are the Holy One of God. Right after this, Jesus even says, have I not chosen you? I love this idea, this this remembrance, that it is not our own effort that brings us to Jesus, but it is the choosing, the action of God that brings us. We see it over and over and over again. Now, folks, I've been talking about Holy Communion. We've been talking about how this would have been troublesome for Jesus' original Jewish audience, and how for us, though, maybe it's not so hard. But when we think about this whole thing, the whole context that we're set in, all of this, we remember the truth of the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God shows grace and mercy to whoever God chooses, to whoever God loves, and the gospel says that's everyone. As I think about all of this, and I think about the ways that God continues throughout our history, right up to now, and I believe into the future, God is inviting us forward Time after time after time after time, if we look back through our history, both the history that's found in Scripture as well as the history that we can find in the history books, we see that things are often new, things are often troublesome, there's oftentimes pushback against it. So this is not an isolated incident. And I find myself wondering if maybe this is an important thing that we need to hear today. If if there is a hard teaching out there that none of us want to hear, And yet we need to, me included. And I find myself wondering if we're in that mode here as we find ourselves in late summer 2021, 18 months into this thing known as COVID, at a time when we hoped that it was really getting into the rearview mirror, but now the news is reminding us that maybe it's not, and we have these variants that we have to worry about, that that cases are on the rise again, and that maybe we're not as good to go as we had hoped. And because of that, ministry is looking different. Churches are looking different. All of these things are happening differently. And sometimes we're like, well, okay, it's something different. It's different than I'm used to. And maybe that's okay. But at other times, maybe we think that's not okay. That's not what I'm used to. That's not the way that I know it to be okay or the technique that I'm used to or the teaching that I'm used to or any of it. We find it troublesome because that which is familiar to us, that which makes sense in our minds because of our own history, because of our own experience, now we're doing things or perhaps teaching things differently and we don't know what to do with it. And I can't help but think that the ultimate in this hard teaching, the ultimate thing is when God's grace, which we freely profess as receiving through the elements of Holy Communion, but also through the promises of God. God's grace is not limited. I can't help but think that this can be scandalous. Think about your own idea of who's not worthy of it. Who is not worthy? Who might be the worst of the worst of the worst? We all have those tendencies, don't we? We all have those spots those, the, because of our own experience, because of our own understanding where we feel like, I don't think they're worthy of it. But you know what? Jesus said, I have come to save the whole world. I am making all things new. God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
And I can't help but think that this grace, this gospel, which we proclaim is given to everyone. And that probably seems scandalous because God's grace is not fair. If it was fair, none of us would receive it because none of us are worthy. Think back to what we shared together in the brief order at the beginning. We are in bondage to sin. We cannot free ourselves. None of us are worthy, but God's grace and God's love and God's claim upon us as beloved children goes beyond even our broken experience. Because each of our experience, each of our existence begins from a a place of God's love and joy and delight. And that is true for all of existence, whether we like it or not. There are times in life when we need to be reminded that we are not the sole recipients of God's grace. And that if someone thinks differently than I do, or looks differently than I do, or talks differently than I do, or believes differently than I do, or heaven forbid, voted differently than I do, they are still a beloved child of God. They are still recipients of God's grace, whether we like it or not. We are all equal in the sight of God. We are all loved in the sight of God. And when we come to that table of Holy Communion, we are all on equal footing. I come before you, Lord, broken and humble. And yet God's invitation is to all of us. This may be a hard teaching, one that we don't like, one that we struggle to wrap our heads around, one that we struggle to understand, but the promise of God is that this is for you. And the promise of God is that this is for me. And if it is for me and it is for you, it is for all of us. It is universal. God's love and grace for all of humanity. This is good news, but it might also be hard news for us to hear. Amen.